You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to entitle this, Where Are the Peacemakers as the U.S. Warms Up for Another Cold War? And what we've been seeing here lately is a buildup of NATO troops in eastern part of the NATO area, going into Poland and going into the Baltic states and we see another drumbeat to go to war here. We're seeing all kinds of accusations against Russia and Putin as being the aggressors, where in fact the United States is the aggressor. And so naturally the Russians are being wary of the situation. And one of the things that's highlighted is is an area that I didn't even know about uh, between Poland and Lithuania, on the Baltic Sea, there's a Russian area known as Kaliningrad. There's about a million people in this area, and uh, there's what's called the Suwaki Gap that connects this area to Belarus, which is a friendly ally of Russia. And the Russians have a Baltic Sea fleet of 75 warships, 225,000 soldiers, and uh, there are some Iskander-M nuclear warheads and supersonic fighter jets in there. And, of course, this would be in response to the buildup by NATO. And, of course, we should remember that at the fall of the Berlin Wall and the fall of communism, President Ronald Reagan promised Gorbachev that we would not expand NATO beyond Germany. And, of course, we have not held up to our bargain. So, basically, it's going right to the doorstep of Russia. And so the question we want to also address tonight, why are not America's churches standing up and praying for peace? We seem to have lost interest in this, and particularly in the evangelical churches. It's, uh, it's really amazing to me. And so with that little bit of introduction, I'm going to have Chuck chime in here and talk a little bit about the situation. Chuck has written a couple interesting articles, and we will put a link in into those articles. Chuck? Okay, Tom, thank you very much. And this general subject of why aren't the churches helping out comes up over and over, and it's, it's our keynote. And we've learned the answer of why many don't. Of course, we've learned why the evangelicals don't. And we've talked about that a lot of times. We'd like to maybe end by talking about that just a little bit in terms of our local churches. Right now, what's troubling is the massive buildup that we now see of military that's heading in the direction of Russia. And, of course, the people that are telling us about this never tell us that the objective is Russia, but we we know they are by the people that are involved in doing it and the way they, they manipulate the news. We did a story called The Massive Army Deployment is Deliberately Restarting the Cold War. 
And what we're saying here is that uh, we discovered, I mean, it's much publicized, but in a kind of a way that not one in ten people even know it's happening, but this a mass troop movement is starting, and one of the places it's starting from is right here in Colorado at a very big camp uh, known as Fort Carson, Colorado. Fort Carson has been a huge staging place for infantry, artillery, and then special forces and so on. But recently, Fort Carson started a shipment that was announced by the Pentagon in a tongue-in-cheek way, kind of a underplayed, but then it didn't get much press at all. But in the local press in Colorado Springs, Colorado, which is where Fort Collins is, the local uh, very conservative newspaper down there called the Gazette-Telegram sent people out and interviewed the people who were packing up the 3rd U.S. Tank Brigade. This is an infantry-supported military tank brigade, and they call it a team because it consists of an awful lot of firepower and then uh, lots and lots of infantry that go with that. And this reporter talked to the people who were packing up to go, and out it comes that there were only 4,000 soldiers, roughly, who were in an initial shipment of people going out, but the armaments were so great that it took about a 1,000 railroad cars to hold the equipment, and 37 trains left Colorado Springs for ports. I don't know where they shipped from, but then, of course, this had to be shipped overseas, all mobilized very fast, and in the course from about November 2nd, when we first found out it was happening, we didn't notice it right away, until the present time, it's uh, uh, less than two months, and uh, all of this uh, stuff has been moved, and it's arriving in Poland in huge caravans of vehicles driving down the road. I guess it was shipped out of Germany to Poland on railroads, and then from there, we're told this is being dispersed. So this armament includes 72-ton tanks. It includes these huge Bradley wheel-based fighting vehicles that have cannons and high capability. And uh, these are all extremely sophisticated and very, very powerful shipments. And the people in Colorado Springs who were packing this up, one of the colonels, Lieutenant Colonel John Gilliam, was interviewed and And he said, yes, we haven't done anything like this since the Cold War. He said, we've shipped troops overseas uh, lots of times for operations, but nothing like this. The size of the movement was overwhelming to him. And he likened it to something that I was involved in one time in 1961 called the Berlin Crisis. And Colonel Gillian said, we haven't done anything like this since the Berlin crisis, when 110,000 reservists were all activated, and I happened to be one of them. And the equipment then that was shipped all over the world was huge. And so this has been likened to this enormous program in 1961 when the Berlin Wall was built and U.S. rode to the front prepared to do battle with the Soviet Union. John F. Kennedy managed to settle for an uneasy peace, and uh, we all went home. It appears to us very clear that unlike the event in 1961, when Russia was an aggressor and actually lined up tanks on the border of 
of West Berlin and pointed toward the western part of Germany and the western part of Berlin. In this current case, we've got the U.S. actually taking up positions where we are the aggressor and uh, shipping. It appears that uh, this armaments are being shipped in the direction of Russia's frontier, which if that's done, then this will become an open confrontation for Russia. And of course, Russia did not exist as a country in 1961. It was a part of a communist bloc controlled by the Kremlin. So what comments do you guys have? Well, part of the narrative that being fed to us by our mainstream media is that Putin and the Russians are the aggressors. An article here in the Washington Post from January 17th entitled, Lithuania Fears a Russian Invasion, now it wants to build a border fence. But they say in the article here, quote, after Russia's war in eastern Ukraine and the annexation of Crimea, Baltic leaders fear their countries may be the next targets for potential Russian expansion. Well, unquote, and number one, Russia wasn't in a war in, in the Ukraine. There were certainly Russian sympathizers, and they did get some materials from Russia. And, of course, there were allegations that the Russians were in there, that they claimed Russian military units were in there, which were never substantiated. And, of course, the people in Crimea voted to be annexed back into Russia. So it was uh, controlled, and they had a fair election there, a very, very high percentage wanted to return to Russia because there were many, many Russian ethnic people living in the Crimea. So from a thing called military.com, they're quoting Lieutenant General Ben Hodges, commander of U.S. Army Europe, said at a Pentagon press conference Wednesday, Hodges pointed to the Suwaki Gap, a 60-mile sliver of flat terrain in northern Poland that runs east to west from Russia, allied Belarus to Lithuania, and the Russian enclave at Kaliningrad, where Russian President Vladimir Putin has placed his most, most advanced anti-aircraft and, and anti-ship missiles. Putin has ratcheted up tension in the area with frequent unannounced, quote-unquote, snap exercises of his military near the Sulawaki region, combined with the construction of a new air base uh, in Belarus, unquote. So we um, uh, conveniently forget what we do with our buildup in NATO in the area and put all the, uh, the blame on the Russians. That's certainly true. When looking at the uh, American military response to this, this whole thing about the buildup, they dismiss it. That one article that says the Marine Corps Major General Neil Nelson, he says, you know, we've been going to Norway for 25 years, so I don't really know what the hype is all about. And he said, we're just doing our job from a more economical standpoint. I don't put a lot of stock in people pointing back and forth. We're putting Marines in Norway and above the Arctic Circle for 30, 60 days at a time, that's a whole different environment. And so basically he's saying we've been doing this for 25 years. What's, what's the beef is, uh, is what, the, uh, what the Marine is saying. But obviously the timing is just uh, incredible right now. So naturally the Russians would want to respond to our buildup. So that should be understandable to any reasonable observer. The training of troops in northern Norway 
which is almost within sight of Murmansk, Russia. And in fact, uh, I met a Norwegian who trained there recently, and he told me that when he was taking Arctic training up there, or Norway trains their people up there too, he said you could actually see the Russians from their, where, they, where they did their training exercises. Sometimes they would even wave at them, he said. But obviously this is done to sort of confront the Russians, and why are we training people in Arctic warfare if we don't have some concerns or designs? Russia was at peace since 1989 when the communist government collapsed and when the Russian Federation became the governing faction there. And we sort of regarded it as a peaceful situation. And then all of a sudden we've had a rekindling of this anti-Russian feeling and it's all wrapped around the fact that Russia came to the aid of Syria. So the Middle East is always involved in everything, it seems. And, uh, of course, as we know, Syria overrun by various factions, uh, some of which we have pointed out are funded by Saudi Arabia. Some are believed to be funded by Israel. Israel's very quiet about this, but they have been caught with their fingers in the cookie jar a few times. And the number of refugees from Syria has run into the, is it a million? I think maybe more than a million. And the number of deaths has run into six figures in Syria. So it's a slaughter that's been going on there. And Russia simply stepped forward and took the side of the Syrian government against all these rebels, most of which the United States government has actually denounced. We denounce ISIS, for instance, who's in Syria. But we don't denounce the moderate rebels who are all fighting right beside ISIS, and you can't tell them apart. And they're sort of considered the moderate rebels who are trying to get rid of the Assad government. And America's openly supported them. So with America supporting the moderate rebels and with Russia bombing the moderate rebels along with ISIS, and by the way, uh, since Russia got involved on the, in the support of the uh, Assad government, uh, they're making pretty good progress. And so now suddenly the United States is taking a very aggressive posture toward not only Syria, but also toward their ally Russia. So at the root of this is the Middle East problem that we've talked about so much and Syria, which is right smack in the middle of it. We have developed a hostility toward Russia since they came to the aid of Syria, very simply. And that hostility is open and overt, and we hear about it all the time, and we hear gross exaggerations about what Russia is doing coming from the members of our Congress and our Senate and from the bureaucracies within it, like the CIA and the Department of Defense, uh, and uh, especially lately, the information people or the counterintelligence people. And they have been, of course, attacking uh, Russia for some time, and now this yarn has been brought out that somehow Russia swung the election in the favor of Donald Trump by hacking into a private organization, not a governmental one, but a private organization called the National Democratic Party. And so now we have our government coming in and saying, well, we are now protecting 
the political parties who want to run candidates. Uh, and so whether or not Russia did anything to the Democratic Party headquarters or not, we don't know. It's denied broadly. But that is actually a cause now that's being taken up uh, in the bureaucracy centers of our government against Russia as well. Well, that's absolutely right, Chuck. We, we see the mainstream media beating this drum. And, of course, there's been no substantial, no really backing of what these intelligence agents are saying about claiming the Russians were behind it. Uh, so it is uh, another example of the effect of a war-based economy that uh, our President Eisenhower warned about when he left office in 1961, and we're just seeing this as a continuation, and you need credible enemies, of course, and so we've got not only the Muslims, terrorist Muslims, but we also have Russia now as two credible enemies, and nothing um, keeps the, the military-industrial complex rolling on like another war and having more enemies, and there's the complaint that the military needs more money for these operations, which are extremely, just to mobilize what you described, Chuck, it has to be running into the billions of dollars uh, just to move this equipment. In from exactly. There is an economic side to this that the American people would not like, and that is when you mobilize a thousand, think of it, a thousand railroad cars pulled down the road on 37 trains, and that's just to get them to the port. Think of yes. what it costs to conduct an operation like this. This is not like a little training operation where you send some people off to the Arctic uh, to freeze in the snow for a while to learn how to keep their gloves on and how to um, eat their lunch without taking their mittens off and the other things that you learn when you live in uh, Minnesota or in the, in the Antarctic or someplace. So uh, this kind of training is, is small change compared to moving whole armies or brigades. A brigade is a very big unit. And this, this is a tank brigade that's being moved into seven countries, supposedly. The truth is, once they get into Poland, and they're out of sight, and the uh, administration there takes over, and they start sending these people here and there, we have no idea where they're going to end up. Uh, we have 1,000 military bases that we're maintaining around the world, what could be more involved than operating military bases in all these countries? Uh, I think there's some 20 to 30 bases that surround Iran, all around Iran. Oh, it's more like over 45, actually, if you look at the map, Chuck. Is it? Well, yeah. I wouldn't doubt it a bit. Yeah. So now look at this map and see how seriously our leaders are taking the Middle East and all this, and Russia is just being drugged into it, basically. So... We have a few questions we'd like to ask and resolve as we go along. Is Donald Trump any, going to be any different than if we would have had Hillary Clinton and all of this? He makes different sounds and noises. What do you guys think? Is, do we have something to work with here uh, in Donald Trump, or is this just uh, more of the same in a different color? We know that Obama really did not do anything significant to help us in this respect. No, I mean, he, uh, last year, we talked about this, dropped 26,000 bombs in 2016, uh, mostly in Syria and Iraq, but 
in places like Yemen and even three in, in uh, Pakistan. So I guess the, the real question that begs to be asked is what is the purpose of all these military bases around the world? Originally, the purpose of the military was to defend the United States. But what we see is extending our power throughout the world through our might. And uh, what we're saying might makes right. And these serial wars that we are starting are wreaking havoc all over the world. And, of course, particularly in the Middle East. And we're seeing all the reaction, the blowback, if you will, from our actions in Afghanistan and Iraq and Libya. It just goes on and on. So people in the United States, all our Congress, uh, don't seem to get this. Craig, you might relay the story about the interview with uh, Senator Lindsey Graham tonight on on the news. Yeah, it was kind of disconcerting. Lindsey Graham was being interviewed by Carson Tucker on, on Fox News. And he was uh, beating the war drum really hard against Russia and how we need to stand up to him and that we need to stand up to any nation that would go into another nation and take their land. And, of course, he he wasn't referring of Israel going into Palestine, but he was referring of uh, Russia and the uh, Crimea. So he was uh, definitely uh, beating, beating the war drum for that. Uh, Chuck, I'd like to go back to one of the things you asked about uh, whether Trump is going to be any different. It's kind of upsetting, too, because Trump has just admitted to the Russian hacking, even as he attacks the uh, U.S. intelligence community. So he's not there saying, no, they didn't do it. He's agreeing with what, the, what he's being said as being good information, even though um, I, haven't, I haven't seen anything yet that really uh, shows that the Russians were behind any of this hacking. A lot of it's innuendos, and it's coming from these, these organizations who have have proven over and over again that they lie to the public. So uh, it's kind of tough to tell where he's, where he's, Trump is coming from. But at this point, he has admitted uh, and said that the Russians were behind the hacking. Of course, uh, all that deflected from what was actually said. Nobody actually ever discredited what was released. I mean, it's no, like not at all. The, uh, all this intrigue around uh, who hacked who has not have anything to do with what was said in these emails, like Hillary admitting that Saudi Arabia and Qatar actually their state state funding ISIS while she was getting uh, political favors and money for her uh, Clinton Foundation. So those kind of charges have never been denied. And so all this smokescreen that we go on about who hacked who is really just a a good example of the nonsense that's fed to Americans. And uh, this is where discernment needs to come in. And as we've said over and over again, if you don't believe us, do some checking. And that's the advantage of the Internet. You can find a lot of these alternative sites where there are independent observations that have some substantial facts and information that really is at odds with what we're getting from the mainstream media and our our government, actually, who feeds the mainstream media. We, we know that uh, they they basically reward these uh, a lot of these journalists with information, so they're going to go along and print what the government tells them. 
this is kind of the state of affairs that we have in the United States today. Well, going back to your, your title, Where Are the Peacemakers?, that's uh, really concerning as well, is that the, the churches don't take a peacemaker stand uh, against any of these buildups, any of these involvements in uh, foreign nations, like George Washington warned us you know, way back when, is that the churches go right along with this whole thing, like it's our divine destiny to control and police the whole world, and uh, as they make the world safe for democracy. I think it, it, it definitely goes back to the position that the churches take on Israel because they justify violence there. So if violence is good there, why not someplace else? It seems like an extension of the whole Palestinian-Israeli mindset that war is okay, violence is okay, and the church is, is not standing up, at least evangelical churches. I'm sure, like you mentioned before, some of the Presbyterians, Methodists, have taken a, a stand against the violence, but uh, very few evangelicals are saying anything. Well, that's so true. Uh, we've talked about that uh, before, Craig, where evangelicals actually justified the war in Iraq. Uh, they, they sent, before we went to war, a letter to the president, a number of prominent uh, you know, evangelicals, including uh, from the Southern Baptist Convention, that their interpretation of the Bible said that going to war against Saddam Hussein was, was a just war. And so we've seen uh, evangelical uh, leaders like John MacArthur actually pray for George Bush's wars and others that would, even after the uh, it was found out that there were no weapons of mass destruction, that they're still saying that um, these wars have been just by their interpretation of the Bible. So what we have, of course, is a lot of deception on these people, and they have turned away from what Jesus has taught us, love your neighbor as yourself, blessed are the peacemakers. So the question really, where are the peacemakers, is a, is a very valid one, and we hope, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, you'll uh, at least maybe um, ask that question in your churches. Why aren't we praying for peace instead of supporting these wars. And this, again, is very true in the evangelical churches. It certainly isn't in some of the other mainline churches and in the Orthodox churches. So we hope that uh, we've given you some food for thought tonight. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcasts. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also, at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.